0: Welcome to the Catholic Spectrum. Each week I talk about topics related to Catholicism, autism, and pop culture. And as promised, I've just finished season one of The Chosen and season two of The Chosen. And as I reviewed season one for you, I will also now review season two and I will talk about my plans going forward for future seasons of the show. So let's get started. So when I first heard about The Chosen, I had my reservations. So I thought I'd start off by telling you guys what I thought what I think of the show overall. And normally Christian entertainment is at best bland and preachy and at worst propaganda like God's Not Dead, which is also bland and preachy. And yes, I am going to be talking about God's Not Dead eventually, um especially since there was a new one that came out last year. Anyway, Dallas Jenkins is also the son of Jerry Jenkins, one of the co-creators for Left Behind, and I've read Left Behind, and that is a very anti-Catholic. Now, Jerry Jenkins does get one up on his father because he actually hired a Catholic person to help write the show, and there is Catholic influence, especially on the second season with the Virgin Mary becoming a more prominent figure. Um... So, I was, so I'm not 100% impressed with this show, but I do enjoy it, and I would recommend it. So the second season introduces some new apostles. Thomas was actually introduced in the previous season, in the last couple episodes, but I'm going to count him as a new character here, because they didn't really give him much to do other than a spotlight in the previous season, because of where he turns up. So we're going to count him as a new character. We have Philip and Nathaniel, who are both brothers, and Simon the Zealot, and, spoiler alert, even Judas makes an appearance. Um, I guess I couldn't really call these spoilers, since this is from the Bible, and if you've read the Bible, then you pretty much know the story, so you're not really being spoiled on anything per se. But, I might as well, but I just figured I should say that. Um, we also get some get a couple new original characters, um, the S. The show has a tendency to do that. In season one we got to meet some original Roman soldiers and um we got to, and in one episode some kids met Jesus and But this season we actually get some that actually mattered to the plot. I mean we get some new characters who matter to the plot and well not to say the Roman soldiers didn't matter to the plot, I guess I should say they did. Um anyway, one is Rama, who was Thomas's wife, and of I've been listening to a podcast called Joan's Take on the Chosen, which is done by a woman named Joan Watson. And she has a, and what she does is she does a live stream chat for each episode as she watches them. And because this was an old season, I decided not to watch her live stream. I decided to just listen to the podcast because it also was more convenient for me to do that anyway. And I figured that since I'm not, since I'm not going to be able to ask any questions, I might as well just wait for the new season to start and do it that way. Um, so she actually checked into some supplementary information, and that's how she found out that Rema is an audience surrogate. For those who don't know what that means, an audience surrogate is a character that the that is supposed to represent what it's like for you if you were part of the story. If Supposed to be how the odd how someone ordinary in the audience would act, rather than someone who's a major character, and Rima just does I mean, ask questions and does what we'd expect a disciple to do. E- even though they're not main characters, and we also meet a Roman soldier named Atticus who is sort of a detective and friends with Gaius, the captain of the guard introduced in season one. Um, I'll talk more about Gaius later on, but he's actually quite. Different from I mean, I'm sorry about Atticus later on he's actually quite different from Gaius um not as sinister seeming, and also the first episode i mean also the Christmas episodes I watched them both, so i'm going to talk a little bit about them uh the Chris, the first Christmas episode for season one was really just the pilot that he did I mean, which was really the short film that he did for his church, so it really doesn't matter that much to the main story so We won't talk about it. But the second one we will talk a little bit about. The way he does these Christmas episodes. Is he has the. Is there two hours. And they're released theatrically. As well as on YouTube. And and the website. So you get. The first hour is really just a concert. With different Christian artists. Which is where your money goes. As well as to funding the episodes themselves. So I'm a little. So I don't really like that that's what happens anyway then we get the episode proper and this introduces what's and this and this and the first episode of the season introduce something new called it that's a flash forward to the acts of the apostles um this is set the flash forward is set after James the Greater got murdered became martyred and he was the first of the original apostles to be martyred um, that's right in the Acts and the Apostles, and it is suggested that this is the catalyst that starts Matthew and John writing their gospels and um so and we also meet Luke in the Christmas episode, and the reason I'm giving you the Christmas episode right now, even though it was made after season one I mean after season two, is that it's set before. Um is that it's a flash forward so it doesn't so it doesn't really connect to the main plot of season two um also I should point out that James the greater or big James as he's called in the show got replaced between seasons, so we have a whole new actor playing him um they don't the reason they call him James call him big James is because we have two James'es and they assume that you wouldn't that he wouldn't have gotten the title until he died. So they just give him a nickname so we can tell them apart. And um we don't really know if the if James's martyrdom was what caused the gospels to be written. We we know that the apostles were already spreading the word of Jesus, but it's not a bad Place to assume that that's what causes it. So, next up we'll talk about some of these mean some of these new characters and what I think about how they're introduced as well as the apostles that are introduced as well. So, let's start by talking about Thomas and Rima. I'm going to do this in the episode, in the order that they were introduced, by the way. Um, so like I said, Thomas was introduced in the Towards the end of season one. At the wedding of Canaan. And uh, Thomas and Rayma are. And Thomas is supposed to be a wine seller. So he's the one. Who's special who's sold all the wine. And he even makes jokes. In the, his first appearance. About how. They do the old trick. That they do the. Good wine first. And then later on. As the people get drunk. They get the the wine quality gets worse and of course Jesus upsets that by giving by turning the water into wine and making it the best wine ever and we also find out that Thomas's parents don't like the idea of them becoming apostles um so what happens there is mean, so they object to it but they but Thomas is headstrong and he decides to go ahead anyway and the way Thomas is portrayed is he seems like the most logical of the apostles which makes sense because later on he's one of the he is the apostle who doubts that Jesus has risen from the dead that's where we get the phrase doubting Thomas and he wants actual proof so making him the logical one of the group and even more and the one who seems a bit he's the smart guy when matthew isn't around to be the smart guy matthew also gets to do some financial type stuff i mean after all he's a tax collector so like, so it makes sense that he would be doing that but thomas is the one who does it more um he sets up schedules and such and while i don't like the idea i mean this more modern take of being of being a businessman, it's. Not a bad stretch to see him as this type of person. Um, I really like the relationship that he has with Rima. They really seem like a really nice couple. Um, Rima is presented as... So let's talk about her. She has a very inquisitive nature about herself. And she has a good relationship with Mary Magdalene and... Mary Magdalene even starts teaching her how to read the Torah, which was actually forbidden for women. And they do make a note of that. They do have the Pharisees um, note that they've heard rumors about this being done. And Rema is mostly a pretty good addition to the cast. I really like the relationship that she has with Mary Magdalene and Mama Mary, too. Um, So... I like the way they do this. It was a good idea of Dallas Jenkins to create a character. Even if this character isn't exactly someone from the Bible, it helps to get us putting ourselves in that situation, which is her purpose anyway. Next are Philip and Nathaniel. Now I'm reading now the reason I'm doing these character this this pair at the same time, just like I did with Thomas and Rima, is because they're introduced in the same episode. Um, there's not one episode just for Philip and one episode for Nathaniel. No, they are both introduced in the episode. Um, Philip is a member of John the Baptist's troop. Now, if you know your Bible, then, then you know that John the Baptist had his own group of, of followers who he would have baptized and who he was telling them to be ready for when... The real Messiah would come along, and um, John the Baptist, for those who don't know, is Jesus's cousin, so they know each other very well. And um, I really like what happened. How Philip is introduced? Um, he shows up at the at at um, the apostles' camp, and Andrew knows him right away because Andrew, we find out in season one, was one of John's followers, so he knew everyone that John knew. And um, I mean, John the Baptist followers. Excuse me, I have to say the Baptist because there's a John among the apostles. So just so we can keep them separate. Um, and I just love the way Simon is all. How do you know? I mean, Simon Peter is like, how do you know this guy? And Andrew says, because not everything in my life revolves around you. <laughs> it's yeah, the relationship that. Andrew and and Peter had in the first season. Continues on in this season. And it's just hilarious at times. Um, And he comes with news about John. And then decides to hang around. Because John told him that he needs to hang around. And we're also heading into. um, John the Baptist's exit from the story. In this season. Um, Those of you who read your Bible. Know what I'm talking about. The famous scene where he. um, Tells. Carrot it off, and then he winds up getting thrown in jail. He was actually in jail in season one too, but he got out in season two, and now he's doing now he's back to what to his old tricks and um. They fan- I mean, Philip is the nicest per- nicest of the apostles, especially to Matthew. Everyone else treats Matthew like dirt because he's a tax collector, especially Peter. I'll get back to that later on when I talk about my general problems with the show. Um, He doesn't care that Matthew is a former tax collector. In fact, he doesn't even bring it up. He asks why he's even sticking around with the apostles when he doesn't, when he isn't treated very nicely, and this is one of my favorite scenes in the season. He, Matthew draws a circle on the ground. And then he points outside the circle with the stick that he's using to draw it. And says, that's me. And. Like I said in my review of season one. We don't really know if Matthew's autistic. But I like the idea of him being autistic. Not just because of representation. But. So, not just because we know there were autistic people there were most likely were autistic people throughout history. We just didn't have a name for it back in the old back in those times, and that's the way it's done here. we don't the writers never come right out and say that he's autistic, but they give us tells instead and I like the idea of having an apostle who's autistic because it shows that Jesus looks for people who are outcasts. And in ancient Rome, just as in today's society, there is no one who is more outcast than people who are disabled, especially people whose disabled aren't as easy to spot as say, someone who has a leg that doesn't work or an arm that doesn't work that or is blind or something like that. autism is a isn't always that easy to spot. There are people like me who can pass for and for someone who isn't autistic so We don't fit, so a lot of us don't fit into the circle. That's the reason I'm always telling you guys that normal is just a setting on the washing machine. It's not just a favorite quote from a movie that was no good. It's because that's the truth. We don't fit in and we're not supposed to fit in. And Jesus doesn't care that we don't fit in. Now, this does bring up a bit of a problem. I don't mind Philip and Matthew's relationship. In fact, I like it. I like to see at least one apostle who didn't treat matthew unfairly but there is a scene where philip tells where philip tries to help matthew with humor um again this i don't mind this in itself because of um it's actually a pretty funny bit that matthew doesn't get jokes because he's too logical but he tells him to tell a vegetable joke and then he says oh you won't get it because it's corny um no jenkins you screwed up there. Uh, corn was not a staple in Israel in in Israel's diet back in the times of Jesus. Um, in fact, corn wasn't even around in Israel back in those days. Corn was found here in America, so they wouldn't know what corn is. So the joke doesn't work. So I don't mind sometimes that the characters sound a bit modern but there are times when it gets annoying and this is one of those times and it's really bad because like i said jenkins has been has been researching ancient israel and biblical times and you would expect him to know this sort of thing and Nathaniel is introduced as an architect, and Nathaniel doesn't really get to do much in this season. And it's probably because we got so many apostles that there's always gonna there's always a possibility that one's gonna get lost in the shuffle. So I'm holding out on him. And um, like I said, he's just we're just told that he's an architect, and that's about it. So maybe he'll get more to do in later seasons. Um, so I can't really give you an opinion on him per se. Um, other than the fact that it's interesting how he helps set up the Sermon on the Mount later on, so let's talk about um, Simon the Zealot next. Next up is Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot is done. Has a is a person that we don't know that much about. For those who don't know, the Zealots were a group of um, basically terrorists. They were. I mean, or freedom fighters, depending on your point of view, and the show kind of goes back and forth on that. They were inspired by a verse in the Bible, in the Torah. Zeal for my house has assumed has consumed me, and they would go around um, killing Roman soldiers. So this was already, so this this attracts even more attention because he's already considered an enemy among the. By the Roman soldiers. And we're given some background that is total speculation, but it's not bad speculation. Um, we find out that Simon the Zealot has a brother named Jesse. And that uh, Jesse is a paralyzed man. He is the man that Jesus meets at the fountain in Jerusalem. Um, no, wait, maybe it's not Jerusalem. I mean, in a at a fountain that is believed to be enchanted. Um the Jews tried not to um, adopt many of the customs from the Romans because they didn't because it was a totally different religion and their religion forbid it. But it was believed that this fountain was um, enchanted by whatever Roman deities and that if you bathed in it it would cure you of whatever illness you have. And this and we are constantly shown this man who is trying his best to get into the um, fountain he's paralyzed and he is unable to do so no matter how often he tries. and, uh, and this is paralleled with um, Simon's training as a zealot and um, Jesus heals him and he, and this is the apostle, this is the um, man who is told to pick up his mat and walk. And this is done on a Sabbath day. And this also. And this brings even more. Problems with the Pharisees. Because you weren't supposed to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. Even healing was forbidden on the Sabbath. Um, so Simon. So Simon. Happens to see this. Going on. And he actually. And we find out that this man. Is, is his brother Jesse. Now. We don't know if Simon was related to that man. In fact, we aren't, given the name, we aren't given much info on this man. But doing this as a means of connecting Simon to, the, to his new mission is not a bad idea. So he follows the apostles to meet Jesus. And while on the way, he meets a demoniac who pleads with him to kill him to end his suffering. And Simon refuses to do so, not because killing is wrong, but because he knows that once he kills this man, the demon that's possessing him will just go possess someone else, and he and it won't solve the problem, it just he'll just create a new one. So he fights him off and that's it. And the demoniac then happens upon the apostles and frightens Mary Magdalene by calling her Lilith. Which, as we learned in season one, was the name that she had when she was possessed by several um, spirits. And this frightens her, so she leaves the camp. Now, I want to stress that this is not a biblical scene. And um, I think what Jenkins was really doing here was kind of doing his own... Matthew kind of has a question, and I really don't like that idea. Um I would as I'm pretty sure that I mean it's not a bad idea to, to assume that more than one of the apostles was infatuated by her but we already have the old myth that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were an item which they weren't. So just to take that and turn it into something else just doesn't fit with me and I really like this how she comes how when when they finally find her she's ashamed of what she's done because she's gone back the scene that's done um, um, he accepts her with open arms and he helps and i really like what she says to him about how she feels like she threw away all of the miracles the uh, reckless help that he gave her and he says if he did that then was we'll the point of it and it turns out and, and um she just comes back with no trouble so let's get back to simon now simon is this is also when Atticus is introduced because Atticus has heard rumors. About- None of this is in the Bible, so Jesus takes Simon. But we have to have something to. But this is. But we have to have something to um, establish Simon. So giving him a whole calling isn't really a bad idea, and um, so Simon takes. So Jesus takes Simon away from everyone else to be alone, and he asks him it, what he sees about the apostles and. This brings up something about the mess- messianic prophecy concerning Jesus that everyone thought he was going to have this. That he was going to be this grand soldier who would lay waste to the Romans, but Jesus wasn't like that. He wanted nonviolence actually, and um, he didn't get a grand army. He just got a ragtag bunch of misfits, and now we got Simon the Zealot, who's a freedom fighter. And so he's saying to Simon that this isn't quite the army you expected, and I like this about him. And I also like what happens next. He takes Simon's dagger, examines it like he's amazed by it, and uh, then he throws it away and says, You weren't expecting that, were you? And then Simon drops to one knee and... That's when he gets his calling, and he becomes an apostle. Now, even though he becomes an apostle, and he gives up his nonviolence, he actually still um, every morning still does the exercises that he would do as part of his training to be a zealot. And they actually hired an MMA fi- a person who was who was trained in MMA to play. Um, Simon the Zealot, and I like that they did that. So, next up, we're going to talk about the cliffhanger. And Judas is not introduced until the season finale, and since the show is based on things we already know, I can't call that a spoiler. And um, we find out he's got a friend, and the two of them spend the whole finale, excuse me, um, basically conning someone and telling them that telling him that they've got plans for his um land and he actually wanted to keep the land in the family and now these people are going to come and take it and excuse me i have to uh, to object to this what to what's going on here because this is setting up the sermon on the mount Now, what they do with this whole thing is they show Jesus preparing the whole, I mean, preparing the sermon. They've actually have, there are actually quite a few episodes and they show him practicing it and just kind of mulling over it. And this would be fine if Jesus was just an ordinary person like any of us. But he's not. He's human and he's also the living word of God. And I don't think it's right to present him as someone who's unsure of his words. And it's also borderline heresy in my opinion, so I don't mean and again we also have the whole business that I have against the problem of having Matthew and John as biblical journalists because we we actually have Simon we actually have Matthew and Jesus um going over notes for the sermon and I and like I said, I just don't think this is the right way to do it. Um I'm really hoping that the show just is careful with him because we need to realize that Judas wasn't was was destined and not destined to betray Jesus. What I mean by that is we got to remember that just like the rest of the apostles Judas had free will. Um I don't like the idea of the unclean spirit entering Judas. I like the idea of Judas deciding on his own to betray Jesus because that's any of us. Any one of us could betray Jesus. And Judas also wasn't the only one who did it, because there was also Peter, by denying him three times. And if we're going to say that he's destined to betray Jesus, we're robbing him of his freedom, and that's not right. Because Judas could have been redeemed, but he decided not to be redeemed. So he chose freely to betray Jesus, and he also chose freely to not accept that Jesus could have forgiven him. And I don't want a Judas who doesn't have a choice. I want a Judas who is given a chance. Um, I don't mean that we should sympathize with him. I don't mean that he needs to be portrayed. I mean, he needs to be portrayed as someone who has both goodness and evil inside him. I think that's the proper way to deal with Judas. And I'm really hoping that they do that in future seasons. So why don't I talk about some other problems I have with the show? Because I've already brought up one problem I had. So let's bring up my problems. Um, one of the actors I forget which one, but one of the apostles has cerebral palsy. Or rather, the actor is portraying him as cerebral palsy. Um, now I don't. Now I know what you're saying. So why don't you mind it with Matthew, but you mind it with. this person. Well, I'll explain that. They had to change up the character so that he had cerebral palsy too. Um, So what I mind about it is that there is a scene where Simon asks him if he's going to ask Jesus to portray, I mean to uh, heal the cerebral palsy. Now they don't come out and say it because like with autism, they didn't know what cerebral palsy was. Um, I have a big problem with this. Cerebral palsy is not something that can be cured and even though it is a disability that is that makes life difficult it should not be presented this way no disability should ever be presented as a disease that can that we just want to get cured and then snap everything's better um i just like i don't want a scene where matthew is magically cured of his autism i don't want one for cerebral palsy as well especially since cerebral palsy is another a, another um, neurological disorder because it neurological disorders we don't want them cured but they make us who we are and once you do once you take that away we aren't who we are anymore and it's very uncharitable to do this and it was already problematic to even have Simon suggest that it be healed. So, I'm really hoping that they don't do this. Don't cure Matthew and don't cure this apostle either. And speaking of Matthew, the relationship of Simon Peter and Matthew needs to be changed up. It was fine in season one when Matthew and Simon were enemies. And then Matthew wound up, and then Matthew joins the apostles. Now, I'm well aware that we have. 12 apostles now. And I'm well aware that there's a possibility that the apostles didn't get along. Um, we always have we have that famous scene where Jesus chews out James and John and calls them the Sons of Thunder, and that scene is actually presented in the first episode of season two. So this can't have been the only time that the apostles were causing problems with Jesus and with each other. But This, I mean, but it feels like to me that Matthew's and Simon's problems should have been resolved in season two. And they devoted a whole third, I mean, the whole third episode to Simon and Matthew um, having a big argument. And it just doesn't seem, and it just made season three, the episode, I think the worst episode of the entire season especially since it was so it was much shorter than the rest of the episodes it was only it was like a little over a half hour and was all based on this one verse about how Jesus's ministry spread um also I I brought this up last time and I'm going to bring it up here I think seven seasons is a bit too ambitious because of how short the gospels are and we got third, the third season is already funded. In fact, it's supposed to air later on this year. The first episode is supposed to come out. Hold on a minute. Sorry, I had to take some water there. Um, I think that... Doing seven seasons is ambitious. It's overtly ambitious. Um, there's just not enough material in the Gospels for seven seasons. I think there's really only enough material for three at best. And we already had we had that big scene I just told you about with Mary Magdalene that wasn't even in the Bible at all. That is just pure speculation. And didn't happen at all. And it makes the show seem phony. When you do this, and it's going to keep happening because, like I said, we've got seven seasons of this and we're going to run out of stories. Now, I know that there is a disclaimer in John's Gospel, at least that's what the show calls it, that tells us that not everything that Jesus did is in the Gospels and that and all that. But here's my main problem with this Dallas Jenkins is the son of Jerry Jenkins and he's now following in the footsteps of his father, even though he's not doing the it, the uh, anti-Catholic stuff, it's still bad. Because you can't make up stuff about the Bible that's bad theology. And I can't defend that because it was wrong for his father to make up stories about Revelation and present them as absolute truth. And that's what Jenkins is doing here. He is presenting these stories as biblical proof, As biblical truth. And I'm a member of a Facebook group that discusses the chosen and there is actually someone who asked where Mary Magdalene leaving the camp is in the Bible. So if we've got people who haven't even read their Bibles and they're going to think that everything that happened in the show happened in the Bibles, we're going to run into problems here. And I'm going to be critical of that. So, let me explain what I think I'm going to be doing with season 3. Um they did a live stream where that was really just a promotional type deal to tell people, give us more money. What's going on is they're actually trying to fund to have their own outdoor studio where they're going to film the rest of the show. And the money is going to that. And they've got, and like I said, season three is already funded and season four is partially funded. Um... So here's what I've decided to do. I don't know when season three is going to air because I didn't watch that live streaming because I don't like the idea of watching the live streams. Um, they're so promo filled that it just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And Jenkins can go on for a long time when he does them too. And all I'm interested in finding out is when the de- is when the new season is supposed to start. So I'm just going to keep an eye on Angel Studios. In fact, I'm rewatching season one during Lent this year. So I'm going to keep an eye out, and when I find out when the new season starts, here's what's going to happen. The week after each season airs on the website and on the app, I'll watch it and take notes like I did with season one and two. And then I'll, and then I'll um, give you guys an episode where I talk about it. Or I might just do a double topic thing where I spend some time talking about the newest episode and then go on to the topic that I want to talk about. And we're gonna do this from now on. Um, so, just something to keep keep an ear out in the future. So let's wrap this up. All right. So we got it. So this is the final episode for season two. Uh, I mean, for my for the latest season of my show for season. I think we are in season two or three somewhere like that. I'm get yeah season three. So we're heading into a new season. That means a couple things. First off, it's going to mean new theme music for the intro and outro, and it also means that next episode was supposed to be the usual Q and A type deal, and it didn't work out again. Um, actually, I did get a couple questions, but I've also got questions from for a person for an autistic Christian that I happen to know named Gina Walter. So we're gonna have both. So we're gonna have the questions that I mailed wound up getting. I only got two, and we're gonna have her interview, and that's gonna be season. That's gonna be our season opener. Um, so next season begins the whole new thing. We got. We're gonna get new music for the intro and outro. We're gonna get some questions for the opening episode, and um. I'll also reveal what i got coming down the road for future episodes. So thank you for listening to this episode. You can find past episodes of the Catholic Spectrum on your favorite podcast apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts wherever you find, Podcast Addict, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Um, you can contact me on Facebook. I am known as Jason Thayer, and I want to point out that Lent is coming, so I won't be on Facebook during that time. But you can still contact me through my email address, which is RadicalEdwardJWT at gmail.com, and my Discord. I have I am known there as radicalEdward hashtag 7597 now a little note about how that is how you do that Um, the radical and edward are both capitalized and there's a space between the names so it's radical space edward hashtag 7597 so remember normal is just a setting on the washing machine we don't get to be normal see you around